Blog Talk Radio. Four Persons Inc. is a licensed 501c3 nonprofit. All rights reserved. No use of our content is allowed by law without our permission. Our goal is to bring you the very best Catholic content possible. Going forward, we will continue to bring you the best apologists, educational programming, devotionals, and live charitable and social outreach and activism. However, we cannot continue to bring this great programming without your help. All of our members are volunteering their time and efforts, but the hosting, programs, licensing, and subscriptions needed to keep this going costs money. Right now, our credit card platform is not yet operational, but you can still send your tax-deductible gift to the Four Persons Inc. P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. That donation address again is the Four Persons Inc. P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. If you are interested in advertising on our shows or have any questions or comments of any kind, email us at email at thefourpersons.com or call us at 240-728-6531. And now, welcome to Catholicism Rocks brought to you by our friends at catholicismrocks.com. This is our weekly night show dedicated to the premise that there is nothing better than being a Catholic. Top fifteen in our first four months, 
And oh, by the way, my former show that I like to taunt so much, I just like to drive those poor guys crazy. They have, I, I have to congratulate them. They have a show that spent two days in the top 15. Two days in the top 15. That's the only top 15 show they've had this year. And they spent two days in the top 15. We've had six top 15 shows. And like I said, we're flirting with our second number one. Couldn't be happier with, with, the, with the group here. We got, a, we got a great group. And that's what it's all it, it's all a tribute to. This, is, this isn't about me. It's all a tribute to the great group. And Jack uh, Gist is, is one of the members of that group. And we're pr- proud to, to add you to the family. And, and uh, I, I think you'll find it comfortable. So take a seat and tell us your story. Start wherever you want to start. Well, in the words of Minnie Pearl, I'm just so proud to be here. But <laughs> it is, uh, I tell you, that, that's really impressive. You know, those, those ratings, you, you really do have a lot to, uh, to brag about there. That, that's great. That really is fantastic. So I am, um, well, I'm, I'm Judson Carroll, and I am a convert to Catholicism. I was, um, I grew up in uh, sort of a, a mix of churches, uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, and Baptist. And, um, you know, it was, it was a devout uh, Christian family, a lot of history. Uh, you may recognize the last name Carroll. Um, I guess my great, 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 great second cousin was Charles Carroll, who signed the Declaration of Independence. Okay. And, of course, his was, brother. Yeah, go ahead. I was thinking of the writer. That's who, that's who came to my mind. Yeah, well, of course, his brother was, uh, you know, the first Catholic bishop of the United States, and his uh, brother's nephew, if I remember correctly, came to North Carolina uh, sometime around uh, 1810, 1820, and at that point, it was illegal to be Catholic in North Carolina. Essentially, you couldn't vote or own own property. You had to sign the pledge, you know. You had to sign the pledge renouncing Catholicism. And I, you know, uh, who knows really what happened with my family there for for quite a while because the courthouse was burned three times, American Revolution, Hmm. War of 1812, and then again in the Civil War. Uh, Well, I think it was 1812 Civil War, and then again maybe in the 40s, if I remember correctly. And not being members of churches, we don't have good family records and everything. So I literally just found out I was related to Charles Carroll a couple of months ago through some DNA testing. So that's awesome, but I figure that my my family was Catholic and just couldn't practice their faith and probably married into Protestant families. They ended up founding several churches. Uh, My grandfather, uh, well, great-grandfather founded a church. My great-grandmother, you know, great-great-grandmother founded a church. These are Protestant churches. My grandfather built uh, a church for his black minister friend that he grew up with. We were always very religious people, you know. But no one ever told me anything about Catholicism. I mean, it was just not discussed. And, of course, North Carolina was very dominated by the Democratic Party. The The, the uh, military wing of the Democratic Party was the Ku Klux Klan. We used to have billboards all up and down I-95 saying the Ku Klux Klan of North Carolina welcomes you to our county. Please remember to obey our laws, you know. And if, you, if they found out you were Catholic, you couldn't get a job, you couldn't get a, a home line, they burned crosses on your front lawn and all that. So I knew nothing about Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but did grow up very uh, religious, kind of drifted away in my late teens. Um, about 19 years old, I uh, really broke my back. I blew out a couple of discs and herniated some vertebrae and was told I'd never walk again. Um, mm-hmm. I was paralyzed almost entirely in one leg and partially in the other, and in intense pain for several years. And I'm sitting on the sofa one day, couldn't get up, turn the channel, you know, back when you have to get up and turn the channel. And Pat Robertson came on, uh, 700 Club, and said, I have a word of knowledge about a young man in the mountains of North Carolina. He cannot walk, he's paralyzed, and at this moment, in this instant, he's healed. And I was. A uh, wave of heat spiraled up my back. The doctors couldn't believe the x-rays from one day to another. I was completely healed. Wow. A lot of pain still, but I could walk, you know. So that made me, of course, quite religious. And uh, 
I went down to Georgia, <laughs> the University of Georgia. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, became a youth minister in a Methodist church. Uh, got involved in conservative politics. Ended up in Virginia um, at uh, a certain Southern Baptist University, we shall say. You can make it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was Liberty, and uh, Dr. Caldwell was so good to me. I mean, just so I can interject, one of our mm-hmm. apologists who uh, does our Saturday show called the Burt Tosin Coffee Show, uh, William Hemsworth, uh, his story tracks along with yours. Graduate of Liberty awesome. University okay. and convert to the Catholic faith. Yeah. So you're not alone. Absolutely. I uh, got up there, and I was working with Dr. Falwell on, like, pro, pro-life pro issues. Uh, this is Falwell Sr., you know, and um, getting involved in politics, and started reading the early church fathers and realized that the doctrine of the Baptist church and all the Protestant denominations I knew about didn't square with the Bible. I mean, I knew that kind of going in when I started taking their religion classes, and they'd say something, and I'm like, yeah, that's not actually what the Bible says. Like they'd tell me right. something like, once saved, always saved. And I'd say, but wait a minute, St. Paul said, you know, and I'd go yeah. through the Bible, and they're like, we don't we don't believe that. You know, they just look at me and say, we don't believe that. So anyway, converted to Catholicism, got um, ostracized and shunned at uh, Liberty, uh, came back to North Carolina, worked in politics and journalism for several years. And um, after 2008, I, I mean, I had a, a newspaper that, uh, suffered from the recession in 2008, and um, I ended up started writing books. And uh, here I am, 11 books later, and I guess I have three podcasts. I have one I do on herbal medicine. That's this weekly. I'm I'm an herbalist by trade. I started my herbal apprenticeship when I was 15. I've written mm-hmm. a whole book on the Christian history of herbal medicine. By the way, it uh, talks about Abbot Walford Strabo. St. Hildegard von Bingen, Father Nape, Father Kunzel. I mean, there's a lot of Christian history in herbal medicine. And then got involved with some folks over at Mizio Day, and they said, well, you ought to write your conversion story. So I wrote my book, um, Confirmation, an Autobiography of Faith, and it's sort of a tribute to William F. Buckley Jr.'s book, um, Near My God, an Autobiography of Faith. But it tells my story. And it has some basic apologetics and uh, a defense of Catholicism, because where I live in the rural Appalachians, um, we have a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Church of God, mm-hmm. people that show up at your door and just tell you you're going to hell. And, you know, you got to yeah. be really ready to defend yourself at, well, at any moment. But they're, they're well meaning people. I've lived in Virginia for most of my life. I can personally attest to that, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you are absolutely correct. I've lived most of my yeah. life in the state, lived briefly in in New Jersey, but uh, other than that, uh, all the rest of it, lived in Virginia. You've got a fascinating story, and it tracks uh, uh, very closely to William Hemsworth. It was also the church fathers that were responsible for his conversion, but 11 books. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's impressive. Hey, maybe I'll catch up with Scott Hahn one day, you know. <laughs> I mean, have you looked at how many books that man turns out? My uh, God. If, if, if you're going to set your goals high, that's, it's hard to set it much higher than that. Uh, yeah, that man, exactly. is, uh, that man is brilliant. Well, Dr. Scott Hahn uh, credits uh, the Bible a lot for his conversion uh, as he yeah. came to understand Old Testament typology. So that's where I kind of want to start in your conversion story. I want to kind of, all right, what was the issue that was the biggest light on for you, if you had to pick one? And then what was the <laughs> doctrine or issue that was caused you the most difficulty? Uh, I'm, I'm interested in hearing. Wow. Uh, you know, it really started out very innocently. Um and it was kind of funny. It sounds ridiculous. But actually, um, I was just reading uh, Father Sparago's book, uh, Exhaustive Explanation of the Catechism, you know, written around 1900. And he mentioned that there was a heresy. I, I can't think if it was part of the Arian heresy or one of the later ones that said wine was created by the devil and had to be uh, totally refused. And the church actually began encouraging people to receive the Eucharist under both forms. That's kind of funny because when I was up at Liberty, uh, see, my family made wine. We're half French. We're also half Irish. So 
you know, they traditionally we may have done a little distilling as well as making a little bit of wine. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I'm sitting there in this huge convocation hall, which is you know this modern praise and worship with blaring music and people jumping up and down and screaming. And the minister said that uh, the Bible absolutely forbids the drinking of any alcohol. One drop of alcohol is a sin and you're going to hell. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, hold on. (laughs) I remember St. Paul saying, take a little wine, it's good for your stomach. I remember Jesus drinking wine and saying, do this in remembrance of me at the Passover, where they have uh, two, three cups of wine. And Jesus made wine in his very first miracle, and he said it's the worst sin to lead someone else astray. So if Jesus made wine, it's a sin to drink wine, then Jesus sinned. And he can't be God, and our religion's entirely false. I mean, that just, like, hit me in one, like, you know, hammer blow to the head. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, the minute I got back to a classroom uh, to where we were, you know, one of the Bible classes, theology classes, whatever, I said, wait a minute, this is what I just figured out. And they said, well, we don't believe the wine of the Bible was really wine. We believe it was grape juice. And I said, well, I come from a winemaking family, and I can tell you the yeast is on the grape skins, and the minute you crush them, the yeast begins to tr- convert sugars into alcohol and carbon dioxide. The, in the ancient Middle East, they had no pasteurization. They had no refrigeration. <laughs> you know, I laid it out scientifically, and they just said, we don't believe that. I'm like, uh, okay. Um, probably a week before that, uh, like the first week at class, um, Someone, they were telling what they had done over the summer, and they said, well, we we went down to, I think it was South America or Mexico maybe, to evangelize the Catholics. And I, I was like, why would you evangelize the Catholics? They're Christian. And the professor turns to me and says, we don't believe that the Catholics are Christian. I'm like, what? <laughs> why is that? She said, because Catholics aren't allowed to read the Bible. I said, no, no, that's not true. I mean, I, I grew up around a lot of Catholics, actually. Um, most of the people in the you know little resort community of the mountains of North Carolina, where I grew up, were Yankees. So they were all either Catholics or Jews. So I mean, I knew a little bit about you know the the culture. And I said, uh, I said no. Uh, not only do Catholics read the Bible, uh, you know, I was big big fan of William F. Buckley and G. Gordon Liddy and Pat Buchanan and all that. I said they know the Bible really well. And uh, one of the popes, I couldn't remember who it was at that time said, if you don't read the Bible, you have no knowledge of God. And they hear the Bible every time they go to Mass. So you're wrong, and you're so wrong that the Catholic Church wrote and published the Bible, and without the Catholic Church, you wouldn't have a Bible. And they just said, we don't believe that. Uh, Okay. And then people stopped talking to me. (laughs) I didn't understand why, because I didn't grow up with anti-Catholicism. It just was not part right. of our family's tradition, probably, right. because we used to be Catholic, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was that. And then finally, um, a professor uh, said, the Bible says that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And I said, you know, I believe in monogamy. I, b- I believe what you're saying is correct, except the Bible doesn't actually say that. And he said, well, why don't you write a paper on where... I mean, in fact, I said, you know, like King Solomon was blessed with many wives. God actually gave multiple wives to the man that he favored, you know. And he said, well, why don't you write a paper on where it came from? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. He said, I want a 10-page paper. I want it on my desk by 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And I said, well, we go. our class starts at 10 a.m. And I realized right then he was, like, basically trying to trick me. He was going to say my paper was late, and he – yeah. So um, I did. I looked it up, and I found Pope St. Clement, and, uh, you know, I, I wrote how monogamy was a, a law of the Catholic Church. And from there on out, I started reading the early church fathers, and uh, Scott Hahn was a big influence, and uh, was Jeff Jeff Cavins, uh, all those guys up at Steubenville. And um, I tried to watch EWTN. It would put me asleep every time I did. But <laughs> I started reading a lot. And William F. Buckley's book, uh, Near My God, was a huge influence, huge influence. Okay. So second part of the question is what were the what, what was the doctrine or doctrines that you struggled with that you had to really work hard to get through? You know, I guess it was papal infallibility. 
Um, the whole communion of saints made total sense to me. Uh, if people are alive in heaven and we ask our living family to pray for us, why wouldn't we ask our family in heaven to pray for us? No problem. I actually never doubted the real presence in the Eucharist. No one ever told me it was supposed to be symbolic. So I just assumed every time we had communion in a Protestant church, we were having the body and blood of Christ. Never questioned it. Only later to find out that they didn't believe that. <laughs> so only the Catholic Church teaches that. Uh, so a lot of the doctrines were very easy for me. Purgatory made total sense. Uh, but I think papal infallibility because no one had ever explained it to me. And then I just went to the Bible and Jesus said, he who hears you, hears me, and he who rejects you, rejects him who sent me. And, right. you know, it, the guarantee that the church would be prevented from all error and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And I'm a very big original sources, go to the first thing you can find type of person. And when I, I could not believe I hadn't been taught in school about the history of Christianity and um, the old cathedrals and churches and that there were no churches other than the Catholic Church, you know, until the, the, the Orthodox broke off and then until, you know, 1400s with the, the Protestant so-called Reformation. Uh, I just never thought about it. And when I realized, well, hey, wait a minute, there was no Baptist church before, you know, I had an ancestor on the Mayflower. Um, <laughs> I sincerely believe if he had been given, he was a Fitzpatrick, uh, no, Fitz Randolph, sorry, Fitz Randolph. If he had been given the early church fathers and the history that I had to find on my own, he would have just joined the Catholic Church and not been on the Mayflower. You know, I, it's like a, they keep us willfully ignorant. And, you know, later I learned that, of course, Woodward Wilson and FDR purposefully instituted publication to counter uh, Catholic education and to make Catholics – you know, good Protestant Americans, so-called, uh, encourage them to join the Masonic Order, become, you know, leave their Catholic roots behind. Well, and of course, also, or a good portion of my education, I went to a private school in South Carolina, which was actually founded by the Masonic Order. <laughs> so I was getting a purely Presbyterian education and did not even know it. Fascinating. Yeah, it's just it's just really your your story is uh, a little bit different than most of the conversion stories that uh, that I've heard. So so then you became Catholic and you worked through all these issues. When did you officially come into the church? I am thinking it was O two, um, and that was unique in in and of itself. My parish is essentially not open all year. Um, I live in a town of officially 70 people. The county seat is like 400, okay? If, I mean, you're in Virginia, so you know how rural, rural Appalachian communities can be. Yep. I mean, you know, you, you go out, you go out toward Bedford and Buffalo, what is it, Buffalo, Peaks of Otter and, and all that, okay? You can imagine the kind of place I live. Beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, but our church is summertime. <laughs> in the wintertime, it closed down, and you have to go to the next county. Had a wonderful priest, uh, Father Christopher Gover. He's now in Winston-Salem. And uh, he understood my situation. I had a statewide newspaper. I was on the road constantly. Uh, I was driving about 50,000 miles a year. Uh, we have 100 counties in North Carolina, and I had to be in every one of them basically every other week. And he, I said, Father, I, I can't. I can't go to RCIA, RCIA classes. I, I don't know even where I'm going to be from one day to the next. He said, okay, no problem. We'll talk when you're in town. We can email when you're out of town. Great. He gives me a couple of books. Um, he calls me in uh, one day, and uh, we sit down. He asks me all kinds of questions. Apparently, I answer them correctly. He says, let me call the bishop. And <laughs> I was confirmed in a church with three people. <laughs> My, you know, sponsors were people I didn't even know, and it was like the dead of winter. I mean, it wasn't even, you know, Easter or anything like that. So it, it, he was really great. He worked very well with, with me. So now you you did bring up earlier the, the subject of uh, politics, conservative politics. You said you used to belong to that. And I used mm -hmm. to have a uh, – 
political conservative political radio show on Blog Talk Radio years ago. It mm-hmm. actually was uh, actually was quite big. Actually, was a a, a very popular show, uh, and I ended up walking away from that. But um, I've come to realize that um, come to realize that neither party really has totally has our uh, interest of uh, of Catholics um, in mind. And you brought up earlier the history of persecution against our church in this country. A lot of people don't realize that, that we had um, a few weeks ago, we had Avelina Balestri on, and she mm-hmm. talked about, we, we talked about how Maryland, Maryland, was basically set up as a state where persecuted, uh, for refuge for persecuted Catholics. Yeah. I see a rise of anti-Catholicism in this country, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, from both parties, and uh, yes, I'd like to know if you see the same thing and, and what your comments are on that. Well, yeah, I, I really do. And a lot of things that have come out recently have uh, really made a lot of sense to me. I mean, you have to understand, remember that, well, we had three presidents in the entire history of the United States that were not members of the Masonic Order. I mean, I, I, I guess a lot of people don't realize that the Masonic Order was founded in the 1700s. Could you much older, but it was founded in the, what's that? Could you name the three, please? Ah, well, okay. John Kennedy, as far as I know, because he was Catholic, was not a member of the Masonic Court. I'm Mm -hmm. guessing, but he never said he was, okay. And, you know, um, Donald Trump has never claimed membership in the the Masonic Order, and I've never seen a ring on his hand. I would guess, again, I'm I'm only guessing that Barack Obama was not – but again, I don't know. Now, as far as Joe Biden, as even though he claims to be Catholic, uh, I think I saw. I think I saw a Masonic ring on his finger one time. You know, the black onyx ring mm-hmm. with the the symbol, and uh, I believe he may have been recruited while he was in law school. Now, maybe Obama was as well. I don't know, but those are the. The two I kind of have questions. But every other one from Washington. What's that? I want to invite another member of our team on. Lewis, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, and you, brother? Doing very, very good. And I want to invite you to uh, introduce you to uh, Dutton Carroll, who is the newest member of uh, Catholicism Rocks. Uh, Dutton Lewis. Lewis Dutton. Hey, good to meet you. Live live Christ the King. It's a pleasure to have you, brother. Yes, you as well. You as well. So, Um, I was... Go ahead. I just got out of the debate, a group debate with a broadest and very persistent secular logic at its finest, but um, they never learn. I'm sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, he brings up a good point uh, that that I noticed that a lot of the responses uh, to when you brought up, you know, points of contention, their response was, we, well, we don't believe that. Um, me yeah. and Lewis find that a lot, where, 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 well, Catholics believe such and such and so and so. Well, not exactly. Uh, you know, this is what we believe, and then we show them chapter and verse uh, in the scriptures or, or in the catechism. Uh, you know, and then you get that they don't they don't want to dialogue, they don't want to debate. So yeah, um, yeah. Good luck getting to read the catechism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, no, I had so a, a, a really long debate probably a, couple, a month or two ago, and I said, you know, here's what this says, and here's what the, and here's the writings of the early church, and here's what Catholics actually believe. And the guy actually told me I would not read anything on the internet, and I'm like, uh, uh, okay, you're debating me on the internet. So, but anyway, uh, could you go to the library and just check out a copy of this book? And he says I do my own research. I'm like, you know, this is pointless. If you won't read the sources I'm sending you that are actual, you know, primary sources, historical documents, you're just going to live in ignorance. And you know, he just insulted me, and that was the end of it. Yeah, willful ignorance. I just had a Protestant tell me 
tell me the most straw man argument. Um, he said that, for example, he appeals to the scripture, um, and he said no matter no history can be completely confirmed that it happened. He even used his own weak example, like for example George Washington. We we have evidence that he existed, but there is no 100% way of confirming it. And a, and a Catholic friend of mine said, okay, so. Does that also apply to Christ? Because Christ, you know, we have evidence that, that he existed. If, if nothing can ever be proven true, then, uh, okay, how do you know Christ was real then? He was like, oh, I have faith. But, again, faith is very – faith without reason, faith without facts to back yeah. it up, just complete blind faith. That's not what the Christian faith is. Yeah. We have evidence, for example, to back up our beliefs. That's what separates us from, for example, like the pagans. We, mm-hmm. we can actually say with confidence that, you know, the stuff that we believe in, they happened. Lewis, I would actually argue that um person was giving you more of a circular argument than, than, a, than, a, than a straw man argument. He was basically arguing that, that Jesus existed because I have faith that Jesus existed. <laughs> That's the, the crux it of his whole argument. Out. Or even the the the, the what the Pontius Pilate argument? What is truth? Right, right. So let's talk about these relativistic. You know. The Catholics in the chat oh, yeah. and the Eastern okay. were eating him alive, and dude, yeah. he wasn't listening to anything he was saying. He was basically just talking down to us, muting everyone. Would um, never give the Protestant a Protestant a power over speaking because they will abuse that. I've I've seen that firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your podcast. Okay, so the podcast um, I started uh, about two months ago. It's called The Uncensored Catholic. And what I always tell people is if you like Steve Bannon's War Room or you used to listen to Rush Limbaugh and you want to just mix that in with a bunch of uh, theology and doctrine and apologetics, uh, you'll probably like my podcast. And uh, basically, I've stuck, well, probably 90% of Catholic talk books. I mean, I've talked all about all the sacraments and church history. We did a long series on the D-Doc A, um, a lot of Marian uh, devotional stuff. But, yeah, when I get into, into politics, like when, you know, the Dodgers had that group of transgendered whatever they are, uh, yeah, I just kind of tear into him, you know, or when I talk about Biden, I, I think I usually refer to him as a uh, senile, desiccated, moron, apostate. So, you know, I don't I don't really hold back. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's pretty good. You know, it's just not gotten a lot of traction yet. I'm getting, ah, I mean, on a good day, I may get 30 or 40 listeners. It, compared to my, my, my herbal podcast, I've been doing it for three years where I'll get several hundred a day. It's slow right. going, but um, you know, pray, hope, don't worry, pray and work, keep keep going. That's what we're doing here, brother. We're 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 working hard. I will say one thing about the about the the conservative side. Um, I run into a few people that are kind of off the rails on the conservative side too. Um, even though, full disclosure, I've been able to vote since 1984. I have voted straight Republican every election that I've ever voted for, from president right on down to dog catcher. Um, I've never once voted. I voted for Harry Brown. (laughs) (laughs) I've never once voted for a Democrat. But having said that, there are you know a couple of issues that I have some difficulty with some Republicans on, Uh, and one of them is one of them is this this hero worship of Donald Trump. Now, I, I, I will be honest with you. I voted for Donald Trump twice. Uh, I, he was manifestly the better candidate both times, Right. not even close. Uh, he did a lot of uh, great you know, things, uh, certainly economically, certainly for uh, na- national defense, um, you know, Certainly for energy independence, he did a lot of great things. I just think some people get carried away and raise him to almost rock star status 
Um, yeah, yeah, of course. He is a I mean, flawed, he, you know. he's a flawed human being, and this, yeah. it, it's like they some people put their worship of Donald Trump ahead of their worship of of you know Christ. Even uh, have you noticed yeah. that? Well, yeah. You know, that's always the danger with politics. Politics is essentially a competing ideology to religion. Uh, you have good guys and bad guys. You have the story of how you have to set things right and you're on the side of the, the righteous if you're in that party. And I can tell you that the progressive Democrats believe fully that they are more moral than the conservative Republican. And, of course, the conservative Republican believes the same. I really um, – you know, did you see the document that came out um, – a couple of weeks ago, called the Kissinger Report. Yeah, yeah. that um, you know, I, I'm, after 9/11, I was all in behind George W. Bush, and then started thinking, you know, we won this war in like three weeks. What 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 are we still doing here? You know, I started having some real serious qualms, and then I read this uh, Kissinger Report, and it says basically since 1975. The policy of the United States government has been to reduce the global population and the population of the United States through abortion, birth control, promoting the homosexual agenda, degrading the family, et cetera, et cetera. Signed by Gerald Ford, um, I don't have any evidence that Ronald Reagan ever did anything to counter it, and Reagan was my hero. And then I realized why George Senior and George W. Bush never went to the March for Life. Think about it. I mean, if their stated goal was to reduce the population of the United States, especially blacks and Hispanics, and you know, and to reduce the population of third world nations, essentially, so that we could mine their resources and keep them poor and subservient to this, to us, counting on USAID for uh, their money. I'm going to make the same argument that you're making, but make it in a little bit of a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, the confirmation of uh, Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. Uh, was that what I initially thought were mistakes, after a while you start to realize that it's happened too many times for it to be mistakes. Exactly. And that's yeah. Yeah. Some, some of the judges that they gave that they gave us are yes. judges that were yes. wolves in sheep's clothing, to be sure. Uh, a certain John mm -hmm. Roberts comes to mind. Um, yeah, and what do you want to bet when they shook hands, there was a little press with the thumb. You know uh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I get what you're what you're saying because you know John Roberts was sold to us as a rock rib conservative, right on down the line, and he has been anything but that. So, and Senior gave us David Souter. It was exactly. even worse. The worst. It was even worse. Yes. Yeah. He, so, he was definitely, uh, yeah. So like Earl Warren in a pale version. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that kind of, you know, you know, made me, you know, so, um, I will tell you the one, one issue that I have some difficulty with, uh, conservatives, with some conservatives on, um, you know, full disclosure, uh, this kind of rubs some people the wrong way, but it's just, it's an issue that I have difficulty with. Uh, and that is that I find that some conservatives, not all, but some conservatives, have a an obsession with guns that I find very yeah, unnerving. Yeah. Very unnerving. You know, I kind of agree. I do a lot of work for the prepper community, and uh, like I guess three of my books have been written: herbal medicine for preppers, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, people think, well, they're all gun nuts, you know. Uh, yeah, a lot of them are. <laughs> but you know what I always say to people is uh, when things get bad, what's more valuable to you, bullets or seeds? Yep. You need to prioritize water, shelter, food. You need to learn about herbal medicine. You need to make relationships with your neighbors. 
if you actually get on the bad side of, of the government um, and they come at you, I don't care how many guns you have, you're dead. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I want to pick up on that thought in just a minute, but we just had somebody call in. Uh, uh, Duck Northwest Media, you're on. How are you doing tonight? Uh, Duck Northwest Media, you're you're on. How you doing? Uh, your microphone obviously is not working or something, but uh, he's he's listening. And he's in the chat room, so welcome him to the show. Yeah, I I want to pick up on the last point that you just made because I have, I have arguments with people that you know that. They're, you know, well, we're going to have a civil war, and we're going to have this, and we're going to have that, and listen, okay? Um, they have drones, okay? They have yeah. F-16s. Yeah. They have tanks, okay? Um, yeah. You held up in your basement with your AR-15, you're going to last about 10 minutes. <laughs> That's about how long you're yeah. going to last. So, yeah, and you um, get your whole family killed. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I'm glad that the and, – and the reason why I brought this issue up is because um, an issue that I'm going to be talking about on um, Tuesday, uh, I'm, I just finished reading two books, and this is an issue that just disturbs me to the core, is this issue of these school shootings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just find it absurd that we can't stop this, that that one side wants to look at everything except for the gun, and the other side only wants to look at the gun and nothing else. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. we, we, we still got kids being murdered in our schools. How is this possible? Yeah, yeah and you know my position on that is all these school shooters, um, first of all, they usually come from broken families. They're not going mm-hmm. to church. They're on psychiatric medication, whether it's for ADHD or or antidepressants or antipsychotics, mm-hmm. whatever. They're spending time in their basement. They're too playing the video games. They're watching the horror movies. Everybody knows this kid's a problem, mm-hmm. and their parent gives them a gun. That's bad parenting every way you look at it, okay? I mean, yeah, I, I, I grew up uh, shooting guns. I mean, my grandfather taught me to sh- uh, shoot when I was young, my mother taught me to shoot when I was young. I live in a rural area. We were taught responsibility, safety, and if they had ever thought I was going to point that gun, even unloaded, at another human being, it would have been taken away. There's the first thing, don't buy a psychopath a gun. Not only would the gun have been taken away, but you'd have been taking a little trip to the woodshed. <laughs> you better believe it. You yeah. better believe it. Yeah. Um, parents knew how to parent back then. and uh, Yeah, so did grandparents and great-grandparents. Yeah. We need intact communities. So that's one thing. We need multiple generations living in the same town and looking out for their grandkids. Yeah. I, but I want to talk about an element. Uh, everything that you said there is true, and I'll add on to it. It's the gun-free zones. It's absurd. They have a gun-free yeah, zone. Is. You're basically saying, "Come shoot us. We're not armed." Uh, it, it, exactly. It, yeah. It's it's absurd. But I want to talk about the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, and it's the core of what our apostolate is about—the four persons. And I'm sure you've probably been wondering about that because it's a question that always comes up. So, who are these four persons? Well, the four persons are. The four persons in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, we are to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, and our whole strength. Those are the four persons. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, it's a recognition of taking an honest look at what a human being is, uh, and it looks like we lost Lewis. Hopefully he'll call back in. Taking an honest look at a human being uh, the modern counseling profession, the modern medical profession, has tried to reduce human beings to uh, physical urges and, uh, and and chemical reactions in the brain. Your mental person, exactly, your yeah. physical person, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about 
the elephant in the room about these school shootings is that what what people don't want to talk about is I want you to listen to this. Can you hear it? Can you hear what's saying? I can't hear anything. You cannot, can you hear it now? No, I'm sorry, I can't. How about now? Nothing? Nope. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah, well I tried to play it through the through the computer. But anyway, um, the focus on Tuesday is going to be on the Parkland shooting that occurred in 2018. Because okay. there's two books that I just read, and I'm actually going to have one of the authors of one of the two books is going to be on my show on Tuesday. So the two books that I read, the first book is called Why Meadow Died. And it's written by Max Eden and Andrew Pollack. And the second book is called American Carnage. And it's written by Thomas Gabor and Fred Guttenberg. Now, Andrew Pollack and Fred Guttenberg are both fathers of two of the kids that were lost in that, in that shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 18-year-old Meadow Pollock and 14-year-old Jamie Guttenberg were murdered on the third floor of that school. They actually, you can go to YouTube, and this is what I was trying to play, and you can actually get video footage, very disturbing video footage of the actual arrest of the shooter, Nicholas Cruz, mm-hmm. in which he claims that he's hearing voices and demons. Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. And 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 that is a theme that has repeated itself over and over and over again in many of these mass shootings. In fact, most of them. Yeah, no, I know. I I agree. Yeah, total demon possession. Uh, you don't have to convince me. Yeah. Well, you know, I've gotten in arguments with people about it. it. Says, well, that just shows that he's crazy. Okay. No, no, no. It's just much more than that. You know, one of the first things I experienced becoming Catholic, uh, I wandered into a church one day in Albemarle, North Carolina, and the guest priest was the actual exorcist that the movie was based on. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, the Catholic Church has exorcists. I mean, it, it's an office, and it's a real thing. And yeah. uh, I wish we could convince – you know, one of the things that really upset me very badly was hearing that uh, Billy Graham, uh, you know, I grew up in Boone, North Carolina, so Franklin Graham's mm-hmm. ministry, Samaritan Purse right there. I, I knew the Graham kids. Um, Billy Graham was said, told to me by someone, so I have not verified this. And if I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong. Billy Graham apparently told his family they had no need to be baptized, that it was just symbolic. When you're baptized, it seals you. And mm-hmm. you cannot be demon-possessed against your will if you're baptized. Every right. child, Protestant, Catholic, uh, I, mean, I don't even know, a non-Christian, every child should be baptized. And if people knew the consequences of not um, of not having infant baptized, baptism, you know, yeah. I, I think they would get on board. <laughs> The danger they're exposing their the danger they're exposing their kids to, yeah, exactly. is, uh, is is is. But but I but I I agree with you. And so I got in an argument with somebody that said, "Well, you know, it just proves they're crazy." So years ago, when I had my political show, I actually had a forensic psychiatrist on with 35 years of psychiatric experience. And one of the things that we talked about, he actually wrote a book, The Liberal Mind, The Psychological Causes of Political Badness. So you can figure out what side of the political spectrum Mm -hmm. he was on. (laughs) But um, he actually, we actually had him on, and he interviewed with Sean Hannity. He interviewed with Bill O'Reilly, with Laura Ingram. And he told me Mm -hmm. that I was his favorite guy that interviewed him, which just blew me away. But I probably had him on my show about 30 times, and we, and we went in depth in a diff, in, about the difference between sociopathology and psychopathology. 
And yeah. you notice okay. the media, whenever you have one of these killers, the media immediately calls them a psychopath. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and so, so the subject, when, when this subject comes up and people say, well, okay, he was clearly mentally ill. Well, was he? Was he? I look at right. somebody who's mentally ill. I look at somebody that there's a breakdown in their faculties, in their mental faculties, mm-hmm. in, their, in their cognition, in their ability to separate fantasy from reality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my, my mom's a psychologist, so, yeah, but I know exactly what you're talking about. This person spent the night before the shooting sighting in his rifle. He got mm-hmm. up that day. Uh, he knew exactly what to wear so he would blend in with the with, with the classes because the RT uh, students would be wearing red shirts and black pants. So that's how he mm-hmm. went to the school. He took an Uber to the school. The Uber driver asked him what the black case was for. He immediately had an answer. I'm in the orchestra. It's my clarinet. I'm in the orchestra. I'm going for a you know for mm-hmm. a, a practice. He knew exactly what time the gates would be unlocked. He knew exactly which gate to go in, into. He knew exactly where to enter the hallway. And this monster went through the halls of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And there, there were military experts that say that he carried this operation out like a trained military operation with staggering precision. Mm-hmm. And one, yeah. one of the examples that they gave is that when he ran up from the first floor to the second floor, he encountered Aaron Feist, who was the uh, assistant football coach, who charged him. He took out Aaron Feist with two blasts of his AR-15, one to the head, one to the chest, without breaking stride. He didn't even stop. Mm-hmm. He didn't even break stride. was now... That takes somebody with a serious amount of skill to make those two shots like that, especially on the move. Yeah, okay? Yeah. He connected with some 85% of his of his shots, uh, and, and a lot of people don't realize that because why were there only 17 fatalities when he shot over 160 rounds? Well, they don't realize uh, there were so many shots because of the sadistic nature he shot Martin Duquet. Yeah. Yeah. But he shot Martin Duquet eight times. Metal Pollock nine times. Peter Wayne right. thirteen times. So um, you know, it was the sadistic nature of it, but in six and a half minutes, he had thirty four victims, seventeen of those victims died, and then he exited the school and and blended in with the crowd. And they didn't arrest mm-hmm. him till now. The question I ask is if somebody that's mentally ill, that not in possession of his cognition, of, a, of mental cognition, capable of carrying out an operation like that? Yeah. See, I've wondered this so long. You know, like I said, my mother's a psychologist. I kind of grew up thinking about this kind of stuff. And um, what used to get me was the interviews with Charles Manson. You, I'm sure you've seen some of these interviews. Yeah. He would sit there, and he was perfectly reasonable. And he was actually uh, had a sort of a seductive kind of logic. You could see how he could lure people into, you know, his world and his way of thinking. Um, and then something kind of flicker through his eyes, and you realize that was the that was Satan mm-hmm. sitting in front of you talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I've I've encountered some wackadoos in my life. Um, they actually don't scare me anywhere near as much as a true sociopath. Yeah. And, you know, I went through a very nasty divorce a few years ago, and, and I tried to explain. I, I, I have stories. I, I literally had two people that lived thousands of miles apart that have never spoken to each other, never had any contact with each other, never even knew each other, and they both contacted me and told me they were having visions of demons inside my house. Now, I mm, need somebody yeah, to explain yeah. to me how that's possible. That you can't put an explanation to that. Well, you know, St. Paul said uh, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, many saints have said if you could see what was actually happening around you in the spiritual realm, 
you're being attacked by demons, you're being protected by angels, the saints right. are praying on your behalf, and they're literally right here, right now, especially when we go to Mass. That's the intersection of heaven and earth. I believe it was St. Pio that actually said that if we could actually see the demons that torment us on a daily basis, they would block out the sun. They're so yeah. numerous that would yeah. block out the sun. Um, yeah, and that's, that's why I encourage people not to use psychedelic drugs because you're going to see that, and it's going to scare the crap out of you. And if you recover, uh, you'll be lucky. And if you don't, uh, you're probably going to be very much in – in the influence of that realm. Yeah, you're going to be altered forever. Um, mm. So I, Thomas Gabor is going to be the person that's going to, going to be on. I, I invited the other three authors, uh, authors on, but I haven't gotten any response. They haven't declined, but I just haven't gotten a response. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the first half, we're going to talk about the weapon and the, the, the destruction is this particular weapon does. And why it's uh, a weapon that's used in so many of these types of events. And in the second half, we're going to talk about what we just what we just talked about the the sheer evil of what happened and yeah. and and why we can't get a handle on this. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I've shot an AR-15 before, and I mean it, it's light, relatively. It's fast. It's easy. I mean, it's 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 like. You know, if I was going to jump in a getaway car, do I want to get into a 1976 uh, Volkswagen bus and hit the gas pedal, or do I want to jump in a Porsche and hit the <laughs> gas pedal? You, you but, uh, <laughs> the argument that I used with somebody, and I only had, had one person actually honestly confront this argument. The argument that I used with somebody is this. said, okay, look, I'm going to give you a 30-bolt flange and tell you I need you to take this 30-bolt flange apart. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I'll hand you a wrench. <laughs> okay? You'll get the plans mm-hmm. apart eventually. Eventually. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, but if I hand you a socket set, you're going to do a lot better, right? Yeah, yeah. And if I hand yeah, you an impact say... wrench, uh-huh. if I hand you an impact wrench, you're going to have that planes apart in minutes, right? Exactly. So if you know, I also... Start... Well, I was just going to say the ammo, though, it's not cheap. Who is paying these kids' bills? Who's giving them all mm-hmm. this money? I didn't have that much money when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Why are the parents enabling, I mean, first of all, to buy the weapon, then to buy, what, 1,000 rounds, 5,000 rounds? Salvador Ramos, within two days of his 18th birthday, bought two AR-15s and 3,000 rounds of ammunition. How in the world could anybody think that he had good good intentions? Yeah, and what I was going to say is that kind of purchase is tracked by the ATF. They know it's good. They, I, I honestly, I'm not going out Jones territory here, but I honestly believe if they wanted to stop this stuff, they could. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any political will to stop it. Yeah. Hey, um, look. I, I feel like I've known you for 10 years <laughs> talking to you tonight. Um, well, I hope great. that that's you're great. coming back. Well. We're going to be doing a, a, weekly sh- we're, a weekly show every Wednesday with Thomas of the Rocks. I hope I can count on you to come back. Um, as Absolutely, often as, anytime. As often anytime. As just, just tell me the word. So the way this works is when we schedule a show for an hour, we're live for an hour, and then after that, we go we go into an archive where the people listening live can't hear us. And mm-hmm. we're just about up at the end of it. And thank you for your uh, for your nice comment, Duck Northwest Media. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's a nice comment for us in the chat room. Uh, so we're right up against the end of the live program. So why don't you close us with a prayer? And uh, I look forward to catching you next Wednesday. Okay, absolutely. Um, that would be great. Um, you know, a prayer I just recently learned that I think is fantastic is uh, um, uh, Blessed Virgin Mary, please ask God through the precious blood of your divine Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that one mortal sin that may be committed somewhere this day may be prevented. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. Judson, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this show, and um, I really enjoy what you guys are doing over there, Bottles and Rocks, and I really enjoy our partnership, and I want to continue working together. So God bless you. I hope to see you next Wednesday. All right. I appreciate it. God bless you as well, and anytime, as I said. All right. I'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank you.